Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, says this. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's the focus, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, desert, to, to, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me just give you a little bit of context before we begin this morning, okay? Jesus Christ had taught this message of hope, of restoration, of, of oneness with the Father, with God. And Jesus then is captured and crucified. And, and in this time period, his disciples, his followers must have thought that it was all for naught, right? Like everything was just ruined, that this Jesus, he must have been a phony. He, he died just like everybody else. Three days later, three days later, Jesus Christ rises from the grave. And now the emotions are the opposite, right? It must have been the opposite. They're like, man, we're going to lead a revolution now with Jesus at the front and and we're going to win the world. And then Jesus comes to them and says, I have to go. I'm leaving. I'm ascending to heaven to be with my father. I'm going to leave the gospel with you. And he says it this way. He says, so therefore go and make disciples. He entrusts them, entrusts us with the gospel. Listen now, before we even begin this morning, I want you to tune into this. Look at his words. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This morning, I don't know where you're listening from, where you're watching from, or even what time period. It could be years from when we even recorded this. I want you to know that Jesus is with you. He's with us, his church. No matter how difficult times get, no matter how dark your life gets, no matter the decisions that you have made that, that put you in extreme positions, I don't know, I want you to know that Jesus is with you. And we want to be, we desire, we need to be a church where the presence of Christ is prominent. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the great opportunity that we have, Lord, just to spend time in your word, declaring your goodness, talking about your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his grace and his love in our lives. We love you. Speak to us this morning through your word. May your Holy Spirit be present. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. Amen. Uh, so we are in week five. Week five. This has been like the longest series. I don't know if it's felt like that to you. It's felt like that to me, a very long series. Uh, for a lot of good reasons and for a lot of challenging reasons, right? But we're in week five of this sermon series called Cookie Cutter Church. And if you're taking notes, which I hope that you are, we're a church that worships in spirit and in truth. That's right. I want you to write the title of this sermon down, okay? In fact, if you would, write it down in the comments. Just everybody right now, if we could, let's just write it down in the feed. The title of the sermon today is Cookie Cutter Culture, okay? Cookie Cutter Culture. And, and I thought maybe I could start off today by telling you a, a story. You know, I like to talk about my kids. Uh, a few years ago, uh, my son, Noah, it was his, it was his birthday. And I think he was turning maybe seven or eight. So this is a little while ago. And we were having a birthday party for him. And I was the one who was charged with blowing up the balloons. Okay. And I don't, I don't quite remember how many balloons there were, but let's just say that there were a hundred to, to be safe. Okay. I started blowing up the balloons the night before. And by the time that I was done, balloons littered our whole downstairs living room. 
Um, the next morning, birthday morning, Noah came downstairs and he was greeted with beautiful decorations, a cake, birthday gifts, and these honestly half limp lame balloons <laughs> that had partially deflated laying around the floor. That was all me. I remember Noah picking up one of them and asking me, uh, what's with the balloons, dad? Why, why aren't they floating? Aren't balloons supposed to float? Now, Noah is still at a young enough age that I could, I could lie it to him and get away with it. <laughs> if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. I don't condone lying. I'm just telling you, he wasn't old enough to, to catch on at that time. And uh, I told him that some balloons were meant to just kind of lay limp on the floor and how other balloons were meant to float, to which he replied, oh, okay, well, do we have any floating balloons? <laughs> I said, of course we do. These actually are floating balloons. He said, well, they look like they're not floating balloons. I said, no, 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 it's, you have to make them float. And so I, I, I told him, I, I picked one up and I smacked it, right? I, I, I hit it into the air and then it slowly and softly kind of, you know, drifted back down to the ground. And I said, if you want to keep it afloat, you have to keep smacking it. If you want to keep it floating, you have to keep hitting it into the air. And, and I think, I think I, he believed me because he was like, oh, okay. And off he went, like hitting balloons into the air, making sure to keep them all afloat. How, how many of us know that there are two ways to keep a balloon floating? The first way is just like I just talked about, is with your own breath. And the way you have to keep it off the ground is you have to keep smacking it. You have to keep hitting it. And, and, and what I figure out, that's one of the ways to do it. And, and what I figure out is, is that this is the type of relationship, honestly, as a pastor that I have with many of you as people in our church. I really do. This is the type of relationship that I think a lot of pastors have with their church. Every week we watch church. Every week we show up to church. And, and many of us aren't doing well spiritually. And my perceived job, right, like what I'm, quote, paid to do is to pow, smack you upside the head about something. So maybe I smack you upside the head about generosity. And I say, you need to be generous and invest in life change financially. Pow. And then throughout the week, maybe you're going around giving out money, logging in and tithing to our church and thinking, oh, Pastor Travis is going to be really happy with me now. And then you come back the next week and I preach about reading the Bible and, and pow, I smack you upside the head about reading the Bible. And, and then you're out reading the Bible all week long, doing devotions and, and journaling, thinking, oh, my pastor's going to be, he's going to be so proud of me. I've done this all week. And what I've noticed is, is that when you don't respond to the pow of a Sunday morning or of a sermon, uh, when you don't keep up with, with following through from that smack, right? Uh, a lot of times people disappear. They get embarrassed or at least, uh, you know, you kind of cover your, your face when I, when I walk by you in Target. Don't think I didn't see you. <laughs> I think the reason for that, and I could be wrong, but I, I think the reason for that is because nobody likes somebody who just keeps hitting them. I think that's a truth, right? I mean, I don't like to get hit by people all the time just for random reasons. But as I was saying before, there are two ways to fill a balloon. One is to use your own breath and to keep getting smacked. That's one way. But the second is simply to just put helium in the balloon. And when you put helium in a balloon, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but when you put helium in a balloon, it just floats on its own. It just, it just floats on its own. And, and I guess what I want you to know today is, is that the gospel, think about this now, the gospel is the helium that keeps you afloat. 
The gospel is the helium needed in your, quote, balloon, in your life that will keep you floating. The gospel is the helium that will maintain a balance, you could say, in your life. And when you are filled with this helium, I'm going to switch transition now. When you are filled with this gospel, you just float. You're less dependent on the words of a pastor and more dependent on the words of Jesus through scripture. Listen, let me just say this. I'm totally glad that you're watching today. I'm totally glad that you're listening today. I'm totally glad that you are turned in, tuned into church. Truly, I am. But here's the truth. If you think that I'm going to tell you anything, right, that is more important than anything you could find out on your own with the Holy Spirit in God's Word, then all that is going to happen here today is you're going to get smacked. <laughs> and it's not going to lead to true change. It will not lead to true, real growth. Here's the fact. If you have not internalized the gospel, if you're not filled with the gospel, then, then you will have to repeatedly be hit over and over and over again to stay afloat. And as a pastor, I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't want to have to preach a sermon on generosity to get Christians to be generous. I, I want us to be a generous people because it's a fruit of just being a Christ follower. I don't want to have to preach a sermon about reading your Bible to get you to read your Bible. I want you to read your Bible because you have internalized the gospel and you realize that God speaks to you from his word and you desire his voice in your life. And maybe that's the real word here. Maybe that's the key word, desire. In fact, wherever you are right now, would you just say out loud the word desire? Yeah, desire. What I'm trying to tell you today is that being told to do something, we've talked about this before earlier in this series, being told to do something, right, cannot give you a desire to do something. If that were the case, I would never have to discipline my children. <laughs> and yet this is the trap that we fall into when we play the religious game. Religion emphasizes things to do, but the gospel emphasizes a love to have, a desire to have. So when we do things for Jesus out of a religious duty, we shouldn't be shocked when there is no desire to continue doing said things. It is purely done on willpower, and eventually you will fail. Can I just tell you something this morning? Can I just, can I just clue you into something? Let this, let this just set you free, seriously. God is way less interested in you fulfilling your religious checklist and more interested in a real relationship. The law, the preaching of religious checklist that we love to fill people that we love to fill up with and tell people about, it will never give you a desire for God. But what religion cannot do, the gospel can. Give me an old school amen if you believe me. Give me an old school amen in the chat today if you agree with that. The gospel can. The gospel has the power to produce in us a love for God. And the gospel does this not by command. It does so by announcement. You know this. You know this passage. 1 John 4, 19. It says that we love him. Why? Because we're commanded to? No. We don't love him because we're commanded to. We love him because he first loved us. And then we read in Colossians 1. Jump over to Colossians 1 if you have your Bibles there, or maybe you could even turn them on. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to jump over there real quick. Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 3, okay? And then you're going to pick up with me in verse 5. Okay, it says this. Paul writing to the church in Colossae, 
He says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Verse 5, this is where you're picking up with me now. He says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and it is growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul is talking to the Colossians. He tells them that he is praying that not only would the gospel grow wider through them into the world, but that the gospel would also grow deeper in them as believers. So it's not just an issue of growing wider. Wider is great. More is great. But more is not great if depth is not there. Please hear me this morning. As a Christian, we can get so caught up in coming to church and worshiping with a large group of people, but then we hit a quarantine and it's us on a couch with our cat. And all of a sudden, it's not width that is required. It is depth. I wonder, how deep is your relationship with Christ this morning, Christian? How deep do your roots grow? See, here's the secret of the gospel, if you will, right? The gospel's secret is that spiritual fruit, whether you're talking about generosity, love for others, humility, openness, authenticity, spiritual fruits are not produced by focusing on any of the spiritual fruits. They're produced by focusing on Jesus. That is the deepening. That is where the depth comes from. In John 15, 5, Jesus says that if we are to abide in his love, if you plant your roots in my love, Jesus says, then you will bear spiritual fruit. If you focus on Jesus, you will mature. If you focus on his word, you will begin to bear fruit. It's a a perfect analogy that Jesus uses here, okay? He's using literal, practical fruit. Now, not to be graphic, but think about the physical fruit, okay? Got the literal fruit, but think about the physical fruit of a man and his wife. The physical fruit is a child, okay? That's the fruit of a relationship between a husband and a wife a lot of times. And, and a child, by the way, is, is not produced because they come together and think about the mechanics, mechanics of making that child. Now, I'm not going to get into today how that child is made, but I can tell you that it is, it is not done by thinking of the mechanics of making a child. You're not putting together a child like an Ikea table or like you're baking a cake. You know, like, how do you make a child? Well, add a pinch of happiness and a dash of love and a smidgen of ornery. No, not, that's not what it is at all. What happens is a man and his wife get swept up in a moment of loving intimacy with one another, and the fruit of that is a child. What I'm trying to say is that in the same way, spiritual fruits are not produced by thinking about spiritual fruits alone. I have to be more loving, so I'm going to will that I have more love this week. I have to be more self-disciplined, so this week I'm going to try really hard and think really hard about self-discipline. I've got to be more open and honest, and so I'm going to think about it. I have to be more generous. I've got to have joy. I've got to have peace and all these things, so I'm going to focus on changing. I'm going to work really hard. And what happens? We fail. What I'm saying is this. That's not how true spiritual fruit is produced. And maybe in a cookie-cutter church, that's what we say, because we believe that church, that church and maybe even the teachings of Jesus are more about uh, behavioral modification than internal change. 
Now, focusing and having the willpower and becoming more self-disciplined, having more joy, that, that may be how behavior modification does in fact take place, but I'm not talking about behavior modification and neither is Jesus. What he's talking about is spiritual fruit. Come on, church. He's talking about spiritual fruit. Understand, Jesus didn't come to modify your behavior. Jesus came week one, go all the way back. Jesus came to make you new. Not modify your behavior. That's religion. Jesus came to make you new. That's relationship. And spiritual fruit is produced in a lot the same ways that physical fruit is produced. You're swept up in a moment of loving intimacy and worship with Jesus Christ. And the fruit of that encounter is love. The fruit of that encounter is more joy. The fruit of that worship experience, that reading, singing, meditating, is peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, etc. Here's another way to say it. The gospel secret is that we grow more, listen now, when we focus less on what we are to do for God and more on what he has done for us. You want to grow? Think about what he has done for you. Let that bubble up inside of you to produce a, a humility that says, how could I not be more gracious? How could I not be more loving? Focus on what Christ has done for us. Now, one of the issues, we've had many, but one of the issues we've had out at Davenport Farms lately, okay, my house, is that uh, we have a lot of weeds. My wife has this extremely large garden. And by extremely large, I mean it's the size of a football field. And, uh, <laughs> and we have a lot of weeds that keep popping up in the garden, especially this year. It's been raining literally since January. Um, but we've got weeds everywhere. Weeds between the beans, weeds between the potatoes, weeds between the flowers. Now, there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with weeds, okay? Now, the right way to take care of the weeds in the garden would be for someone to get down on their hands and knees and to pull them up one by one. Now, just going to be straight up. This is not my preferred method, okay? My preferred method would be to handle it with a bottle of Roundup, okay? The problem with that, though, is that it's poison, <laughs> Okay, and second, okay, if you continue to spray it, uh, the Roundup on the weeds next to your flowers, it's going to penetrate not only the weeds, which it will kill, but it will also penetrate the surrounding ground and also kill your flowers. Um, so let's just say hypothetically that somebody did that. Not saying, not saying who. Let's just say hypothetically that somebody did use a bottle of Roundup on some weeds and it happened to kill some, some roses or some rose bushes. Uh, this is purely hypothetical, of course. This would never happen in my life. Um, but maybe you shoot the Roundup once and it kills the weeds, and maybe somebody would shoot it again, kills the weeds, and then just say they keep shooting it over and over, and over time that it just completely killed the rose bushes. Now, number one, if this ever happened in, in our house, at Davenport Farms, right at my house, right, I'm sure that my wife, I know that she wouldn't be happy about it, but of course, you know, of course, she would approach me in a very spirit-filled, loving way and, and, and suggest to me, honey, could you, could you fix that? You know, that's how she would, of course, approach me. <laughs> so let's, just, let's say all this is still hypothetical. Let's say I decided to fix the rose bushes. Hang with me here. Okay, this is going somewhere, I promise. Let's say that I went to a flower shop, you know, Village Flowers, and I, and I said, hey, I, I, need, I need to buy a, a couple dozen roses. And I take these roses home and I start to staple them onto the already dead bushes, okay? And then I go in the house and I say, honey, hey, I fixed the bushes. And I bring out Vanessa and I say, look, beautiful, 
these beautiful, bright, budding roses. Look, it's, again, it's full of life. Do you think that my wife would look at me and be happy? No. She would look at me and say, what is wrong with you? <laughs> That's what she would do. Because the fact is, it may actually kind of look good or okay for a couple of days, but all I've done is staple something that looks like it's alive to something that's actually dead. It seems to me that a lot of the things we end up emphasizing in churches, telling people in churches, do this, start this, go here, read this, try this, basically amounts to stapling roses to dead bushes. Listen, when the gospel has made you alive, fruit comes out of you as naturally as roses in a rose bush. In other words, when you are alive, you have the fruits of being alive. My five children grow because they're alive. I don't have to walk into their bedrooms and say, hey, clean up your, clean up your room, brush your teeth, and don't forget to grow today. No, they just grow because they're alive. Focusing on the gospel produces spiritual fruit, not by correcting our behavior, but by changing our heart. And when that happens, we change naturally. Ever consider that maybe the reason that you struggle so much with generosity or being generous, maybe the reason you struggle so much with loving others, maybe the reason that you struggle so much with producing any spiritual fruit in your life is because you've tried to change your behavior instead of allowing Jesus to change your heart. In other words, you've gone about the religious checklist and foregone the relationship. Here's a question to consider, okay? This is, this is a tough one. Okay, so let's just take all, all of us take a deep breath, okay? Wherever you are right now, just take a deep breath. Inhale, exhale. Oh, here it is. Here's the question. Is it possible that you've used the gospel to save you but haven't allowed the gospel to change you? The real power of the real Christ-centered gospel is not only eternity-changing, but it's also heart-changing. I want to help us as a church, as a community of believers, to allow this helium of the gospel, as it were, to begin filling us, each one of us, completely. We don't want to be, it is not my desire as your pastor, it is not God's desire as your God, for this, for Covenant Church, to be a cookie-cutter church. No, not at all. Not only do, do we want to see the culture in our city shift, but I desire to see a shift in the culture of this church as well. Don't you? I long to see the gospel take root in all of our hearts, gospel-driven roots that will give us the courage, the faith, and the dogged tenacity to stand strong and lean into this great kingdom that God has, had, has entrusted us with building. So with that, I want to just give you two simple phrases, okay? Two phrases that I want us to use as a tool. And these two phrases are, are phrases that I want to encourage you to not only incorporate into your daily prayer time, but also incorporate into your daily meditation. I want you to write these things down, these two phrases, and I'm specifically asking you to incorporate them, each and every one of you, even the ones of us who normally say like, yes, and then we don't. This is for you too. All of us do this together. I want these phrases to seep into your mind and into your heart until they take hold and begin changing us from the inside out, okay? And I'm giving you these phrases, by the way, from the position of, of myself talking with God, okay? So it's from the position of us talking with God the Father. Phrase number one, here it is. I'm going to say it, then I'm going to repeat it, okay? In Christ, there's nothing I could do to make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Oh, that's good. 
Phrase one, in Christ, there is nothing I could do to make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Romans 5a, you know this, it tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, the gospel is a gifted righteousness, imputed. It's accredited to me, completely independent of any contribution that you or I could make. The gospel is that Jesus traded places with us 100%. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live and then died the death that we were condemned to die in our place so that he received the punishment for our sin and we received the righteousness of his perfection. Man, that's, that's imputed righteousness. I was the one who deserved death. I was the one who had sinned. Jesus is the one who is only life. Jesus never sinned. And yet his righteousness is imputed onto me. His righteousness now is credited to me because of him. Now, in many ways, this is Christianity 101. But what you have to understand is that for the rest of our lives, you and I will simply struggle to believe this simple truth. We will. We will struggle to believe the simplicity of the gospel, that there is a God so good who could love a sinner so bad. We constantly think that God's approval of us is given to us in proportion to our performance for him. By the way, this is where the the American gospel tries to, to take hold, this health and wealth prosperity, that the more you perform religiously, the more love you get from God. Not true. That is blasphemous. That is heresy. That is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, I can't do enough. I can't even do good things. And yet his righteousness is credited to me. What I'm saying is that in that moment, I'm not believing the gospel. If I believe that, because the gospel is not that my position is established by my own merits or works. The gospel is that I stand before God based on what Christ has accomplished for me and then given me as a gift. 2 Corinthians. Jump over there, would you? 2 Corinthians. Look at this. Uh, Chapter 5. I'm going to read here a little bit, starting in verse 20. Look at this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is Paul, once again, writing to the church in Corinth, this young church. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Let me hear you say ambassadors. Ambassadors, yeah. Representatives. We are representatives for Christ. God making his appeal through us. What appeal? The mission of God. The missio dei, if you will. What? That all the world should repent and come to Christ. This is the mission to restore all things. So we are representatives of Christ, making appeal, God's making his appeal through us. And it says this, we implore you, speaking about church, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. Look at this. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul tells us that Christ's confidence has now become mine because God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that I through him might become the righteousness. And Jesus's righteousness is a gift, not on any merit of my own. And so because of that, I I want you to pray and meditate and allow this phrase to seep into your life. In Christ, there's nothing I could do to make you love me anymore, God. And there's nothing that I've done that makes you love me any less. Somebody needs to hear that today, right now. Just I, can, I know, right now in my spirit, I know that that's the truth. 
Right now, somebody watching, listening, hearing this today, you need to know that God does not love you any less because of something you've done. You say, Travis, you don't know what I've done. Doesn't matter what you've done. But what about if I've done this? Doesn't matter. What about if I've done this? Doesn't matter. Well, nobody even knows that I did this, but what about this? Doesn't matter. You can't get God to love you any more than he does. You can't make God love you any less than he currently does. It's a love based on him, not on you. Phrase number one. Phrase number two. Here's the second phrase. Write this down. Phrase number two. You, God the Father, you are all I need today for everlasting joy. God, you are the only thing required for my joy today. Now, this is a simple phrase, but this is probably the tougher of the two. Because I'll tell you why. It speaks to our idolatry. It's one thing us for to, it's one thing for us to know that that we have God's approval, but it's another thing to be uh, for it to be so significant that it fills all of our life and at any point, right? And what comes out is happiness and joy. Paul in Romans chapter one, you can read on your own time, maybe in your sea life group, small group, chapter one, eighteen through thirty-two. He says that the foundation for all of our sin, the foundation for all of our sin ultimately comes back to our idolatry. In case you didn't know, idols are things that we require besides God or require in addition to God to have joy, to have fulfillment, right? And the human heart, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, the human heart is filled with idols. Uh, We are an idolatrous people. Are we not? We are an idolatrous people. Many think that money is required to have joy and they can't imagine being happy without it and that's why they can't be generous with it. That's why they're always worried about it and willing to bend their ethics to get it. It's because they don't see how they could be happy without money. So when the moment comes between choosing obedience or idolatry, many choose the latter because that's where their heart is. And listen, by the way, I'm not hammering on people with money. Like pick your poison here, okay? For some of you, it's money. For others of you, it's love. For others of you, it's, it's pride or an addiction. Everybody wrestles with at least some form of idolatry, okay? Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, that's all well and good there, Pastor, but I I guess you're just perfect then, aren't you? You are just perfect. All of us other people, we're struggling with idolatry, but you up there on your high horse, no, no, no. What part of everyone didn't you understand? Okay, everyone, pastors, missionaries, you, all of us, okay? It's true, but I'll be honest. You want some dirt on your pastor? Fine. Here you go. I am, here's my idolatry, I am a people-pleasing addict. I am. It's an idol in my life that I, have to, that I have to focus on. I am a classic firstborn child. My entire life, it's been hard for me to ever imagine myself ever being happy if I didn't have the admiration or approval of people. It's always been, been a struggle for me whether it's been with my own father or mother or my grandfather, my friends in high school or college or even now as a pastor, getting it from you. It's something that when I honestly look into my heart, it stares me back in the face. It's there. It is a real struggle. And one of the many downfalls of this is that I tend to lose my temper when I lose an argument, which, let's be honest, doesn't happen very often. (laughs) Or, Or when someone makes me look dumb, I get upset. When that happens, I get angry. Why? Because I've always thought that performance set me apart. And a good performance, whether it was in sports or music or even planting a church or pasturing, I I, I thought that that would get me, gain me the approval of others. And 
And so I worship people's admiration and have trouble thinking that I can be happy without it. So ultimately, ultimately my anger problem goes back to an idolatry problem. Want some more dirt on me? Sure, might as well. I've already outed myself, okay? How about this? I can become obsessed with, with our church and, and, and overwork, even at home. Why do I overwork? I could lie and say, well, you know, I'm just that kingdom-minded. Jesus is on my mind 24-7. You know what I mean? But that's not, that's not the truth. That's not why. It's because I want to be successful. Why do I want to be successful so bad? Because I want you to admire me. I mean, let's be honest, you don't sit around and admire people who you don't think are successful. You admire, you admire people who are successful. And because people's approval is something that I worship, it's an issue. How about food? Food is an idol in my life. And it tends to be a, a pronounced idol in my life when I'm stressed. And I tend to be stressed because I want people's approval, which I never seem to truly grasp as a pastor or otherwise. So what do I do? I eat food because I can always find approval from Chipotle. They greatly approve of me there. In fact, they love me. <laughs> now, you have some dirt on me. And maybe you say, wow, wow, man, you are one sick dude. Yes, yes, I am. But you know what? So are you. So are you. So are you. I just maybe have the courage to stand up here and be honest about it. Although maybe the reason maybe I'm standing up here and being honest about it is because I want you just to admire me <laughs> and open and, and you know, be honest about my life. No, no, that's not it at all. We, we all struggle with this. But here's the deal. In all of these things, you can tell me to stop. You can assign me an accountability partner. You can have somebody ask me over and over again throughout the day, how am I doing? But until the cravings of the heart itself are changed, nothing really lasts. Have you not felt that? Have you not done that? Have you not seen that in your life? So what my heart needs to see is that God is more glorious than your approval. God is more glorious than my idolatry because then I'll just naturally do that. Just like a balloon, just like this helium-filled balloon. I need, we need to be filled with the gospel as a church. We cannot become complacent. We cannot become a cookie-cutter church. We must be infused and filled up with the gospel completely because the gospel is what changes the structure of the heart and allows us to say, God, you are all I need today for everlasting joy. Church, today I want to challenge us to shift our mentality. I want to challenge us to shift how we view who we are inside of this church. I want us to challenge us how we read scripture, how we interpret it. I don't want us to be, I don't want us to be just, just another church. Understand where I'm coming from with that. I love church. I love church culture. But if we think that we're just going to duplicate what somebody else is doing by making sure that we sing the right worship songs, preach the right sermons, preach relationship sermons at this time of the year, preach, preach uh, sermons about finances at this time of the year because it's tax season and people will line up and, and we wear the right clothes and we sing the rights. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want Jesus Christ and the gospel to be at the center of our church, to live a wild, extreme, recklessly amazing journey for Jesus Christ. Don't you want that? Don't you want to see this catch fire in our city? Don't you feel that you, don't you feel the spirit moving and stirring in you right now?
Man, I do. And I have been for some time. That's why I pray for protection over you. That's why we as a staff covet your prayers and protection over us. We believe truly that God is at work in our church, but it will stop if we become cookie cutter. It will stop if we just try to become like whatever is in style and in fashion. No, allow Jesus to be the helium. Allow the gospel to be the thing that infuses us. We're not a people that show up just to get smacked and told how to live, but we know how to read scripture. We know how to digest it. We know how to internalize it. We know how to live it. Listen to me, Christian. You are accountable for your walk with Christ. There will not be, there will not be a day where you stand in front of God to give an account for your life and have the opportunity to blame your pastor. I understand that. It's not like you're going to be able to stand before God and God says, well, why did you live this way? Well, my pastor told me that that was okay. God's not going to say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense then. No, you are accountable for your life. Study to show yourself approved. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Church, if we could get this, it would change the entire culture of our church and then it would change the entire culture of our city and our families and our neighbors and our neighborhoods and our schools and everywhere that we go it would change everything just by internalizing the gospel would you pray with me this morning father this morning today I want to come before you and in the blood of Jesus Christ I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over this church over covenant which means that I'm just praying the blood of Jesus Christ over people because that's who we are as a church we're not a building we're a people Father will we internalize your gospel Would we work from a place of humility and move into a place of grace, thankfulness? Father, would you shape us? Father, would you change us? May we not just show up to get smacked and work hard through the week, but may we show up before you and be changed. Religion can't change us, but the Holy Spirit can, and the gospel will. Work and move in our hearts today. Father, I pray for your conviction right now upon every believer that we will be convicted may we stop trying so hard and just simply know you focus on you take us out of this cookie cutter church and take us on an adventure that will last the rest of our lives wild and free with you in jesus name we pray all these things and we all said 